Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. So you ready for the word today? Come on. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Everyone say, no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I also want to read Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. It says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Today I want to talk for the next 20 minutes a sermon titled, Now and Forever. Now and Forever. All about Jesus, our reigning King. Let's pray before the preaching of God's Word. Lord, today we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it's alive and active and it's speaking to us. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray ears would be open, hearts would be receptive to hear. Even if this is a scripture and an idea that we've all heard a thousand times in our lives. Lord, let it sit in our ears like we're hearing it for the first time. Give us urgency for the gospel. Help us lean into the mission that you've set on our hearts. Lord, we want to emphasize you as Jesus, our reigning king today. Would you receive the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hope is one of the most powerful and beautiful things that God built into our humanity. There's truly nothing like a hope fulfilled. There's nothing that compares to when what you hoped for came to be. Wouldn't you agree? Naomi agrees. Hope is a fulfiller of vision. What is envision coming in a process to be on the horizon? Hope is such a powerful, powerful tool for us. The other day I was sitting around my table with my kids and I was asking them all the question, what are you most excited for with Christmas? I'm expecting the common responses as all the kids would give. And I was shocked in the moment because all of my kids responded with, we're just excited to spend time with you. Oh my goodness, you know, I'm like gonna melt right there, like, oh my gosh. And then I realized just very quickly, it was going to be the cheapest Christmas we've ever had. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, but it's funny. I, the beauty of their innocence in that moment just blows my mind. But I stopped them for a second and I was like, hey, I, 
that's so beautiful. Like, we spend every single day together, okay? So, like, but what are you, like, hoping to get? And I love the beautiful innocence of this moment because my kids started around the table, started with Emerson, and he goes, I hope to get. And then Cove went, and he goes, I hope to get. And they said the toy, and Evelyn goes in, I hope to get. And then Cece just blurts something out, you know. She's two, it's fine. But I love the innocence of that. They have this vision without even knowing it. They're not entitled thinking they're owed something, like, oh, I asked for this. Like, when I was a kid, my parents would be like, what do you want for Christmas? I'd tell them the exact thing, and then I knew what that box was under the tree. Like, I can shake the box, like, yep, that's the Lego set I asked for on Black Friday. You know what I mean? My kids are saying, they come with a beautiful innocence going, I hope, I hope. I love the vision of my kids. I love how they're looking at Christmas. There's hope inside of them of what could come. This last week, we had our Kingdom Builders Christmas party. Kingdom Builders is a ministry of our church of people who want to attach their finances to seeing the gospel move forward in and through our city, through our, the local church. And uh, we gathered some of our Kingdom Builders at uh, a house of someone in our church this last week. And it was so wild to sit there and go through the numbers of this last year with them. I'm going to be sharing all the numbers on Mission Sunday, so you're not going to want to miss it. Hope to spur on some faith to really get behind and give us some momentum for what God's going to do in 2023. But as we're sitting around this table with all these amazing pillars of God's house and sharing what God had done, the unbelievable growth over the last year, it started to dawn on me that these were the things that Brianna and I had hoped for, the things that we had, had vision for, we're coming to be and even surpassing some of the dreams we even thought we would see. Hope is such a powerful thing. It really does give you context. See, even at a young age, I used to hope about what my future could be. In my career, I've dreamed, then hoped of the things that I could accomplish. Even today, I'm living out some of the dreams that I had years and years and years ago. With my friendships, I hope for my best friends that I now have. Do we see how powerful hope is? We've all hoped it's such a powerful thing. And let me say it like this. I believe hope is the reference point on the highway to the destination of God's great plan for our lives. Do we see this? It's the reference point on the highway to God's destination for our lives, his great plan. It enables us to see, oh, that's where I'm at and that's where I'm going. Oh, readjust, that's where I'm at and that's where I'm going. On the other side, I don't know if you've ever been hopeless. Like probably how we all feel about the Bucks right now. And Tom Brady, we thought he was going to come in and save the day. And not this year. This is not the year. But I don't know really in a real sense if you've ever felt hopeless. It can really lead you to do some crazy things and lead you down some paths that are destructive. It can blind you to truth. Don't you agree? Come on, when you're sitting in a place and you're hopeless, you have no context, no reference, you don't know where you're going or what you're doing, you can get in a place where you feel lost and you feel blind. You don't know what's in front of you. You don't know where to go. If you've had any real moments in your life, you've probably faced hopelessness. It's a devastating reality that we've all faced, and it can feel impossible to overcome at times. Like when you look around yourself and there's no reference point of getting out. Hopelessness is a deep, dark ocean of despair that could lead you to the worst of things. Can I just remind us today, church? I know that I've kind of taken a little detour on hopelessness. 
But can I remind you that we have our hope, and it's Jesus Christ. I don't know what you came in here carrying today. I don't know uh, what the season holds for you and the hardship that you might be facing in the Christmas season. I know Brianna and I had a friend just three weeks ago um, who took his life by suicide. And now I know that this entire season for that family is going to be shaped around that horrible, horrible reality. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what, what friends have done around you or what your struggles are. But can I just remind you that you have a hope for your soul, and it's Jesus Christ. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. You are loved. You are chosen. You are appointed. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. Come on, you have an anchor for your soul. Come on, we have this hope. We have this hope. Don't fall prey to hopelessness. Hold on to hope. It's Jesus Christ. Come on, he is the reference point. He is the reference point. Now and forever. Now and forever. Let's bring it back to Isaiah 9 real quick. Today's going to be a little bit different. It's kind of teachy, not so preachy. And I think it's important sometimes to just get into the word and remind ourselves, remind our souls of the truths of the word. So that's what we're going to do now. Isaiah 9 and what's happening here. See, Israel just wanted a king that would bring them back to their former glory as a nation. God had something so much greater in store for them and for their humanity. Generations had died off, and the only hope they had of restoration of their nation was found in the mouths of prophets who proclaimed that a Messiah was coming, that a king was coming. So think about it. The only reference point in this deep, dark despair of hopelessness was from the mouths of prophets saying, here's your reference point. There's going to be a king that will come and restore you as a nation. Come on, do you see the differences today? Even for us, like, think about this. Think about the reality of what we live in now. Like I just said, you're experiencing hopelessness. You have an anchor for your soul. It's Jesus Christ. Back then, they're in, a, they're in an absolute blindness of understanding what is going on, what's going to happen with our nation. We're God's people, and yet we have no reference point, and all they have is the promise of Jesus to come. And this main prophecy brings this full-rounded explanation for the people of what they would have seen on the horizon. They would have heard these words and clung to it. So let's unfold this a little bit more together. I want you to see it from their eyes and from their perspective. Because oftentimes we can read Isaiah 9 from a very beautiful sense of this is Christmas. Like this is beautiful. Here comes the king. But I want you to see it from their eyes, from their place of hopelessness, from their place of Jesus coming and reigning as king that they didn't really expect. So Isaiah 9 Verse 6 starts off and says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So this would have been clarity of the fact that coming soon, coming on the horizon, is going to be a baby that's born among us from our people that's going to rise up and the government will be on his shoulders. So everything, he's going to be the foundation, the one holding up everything, the king that we've been longing for to bring us back into alignment. Are you with me, church? Come on, this... This king, they're going, okay, so we understand it's coming soon. This baby's going to be here. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. 
So just for a second, think about Israel's acceptance of this. They would have been ecstatic to hear that the king was coming that wouldn't just fulfill their hope of having a king like David, but someone who is also a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Come on, just think about the holy gossip that would have spread through the land. Did you hear the prophecy? Come on, our new king, did you hear? He's a wonderful counselor. Did you hear? He's a mighty God. The new king coming to set us free to reign on David's throne, he's an everlasting father. And he's a prince of peace. Could you imagine this word spreading through the land? The excitement of the king to come to rule and reign and bring them back into power like they were under King David. But I think so often we, in 2022, will read this at face value and go, yeah, that's good stuff. Like, that's great. Yeah, he's a mighty God, everlasting father. We get it. But often we forget that in the language that, it was, that the Bible was written in, there is so much more depth and understanding that's going on behind the scenes. So I'm not going to read the Hebrew words because I promise I would botch them all. But I do want to explain each word individually of what the real meaning in the, of the root word is. Are you with me? Yeah. A little teachy. Here we go. First of all, wonderful counselor. Come on, that word wonderful is defined to do something wonderful or miraculous. And counselor is to advise or put together a plan. So they're not just getting somebody who's like, oh, they're wonderful in what they do and they're counseling and all this. No, they're getting someone who's a miraculous advisor. Someone who's so far above what they would even expect in that king role. Number two, mighty God. First of all, mighty is defined as superior or strength. And God is in context with rank and above nations, heroic or divinity. Right, so they're not seeing it as, okay, yeah, God himself, that's what's going to happen. They're looking at it going, this is going to be someone who has such great rank, is above all nation, has great divinity, and has this strength like no other king has had before. Then number three, everlasting father. Everlasting in its simplest form is past, present, and future with no end. And father is someone who guides and lovingly watches over it. So they would have heard this and gone, we're not just getting someone who can be mighty and fight our battles. We're not just getting someone who can advise the nation. We're also getting a loving, compassionate someone who will never end. What they're bringing is going to be here forever. And then number four, Prince of Peace. First of all, the word prince is defined as chief, captain, or ruler. And the word peace is completeness, soundness, and welfare. So do we see this today? It's not just about the gift of peace it will bring. They're looking and saying, this king that's going to sit on David's throne is going to be a ruler of soundness with all the nations around us. They're going, this guy is going to make, make a way to where there is peace throughout everything, welfare between all nations. So do we see the hope that they would have had? This is the reference point that they would have seen. This prophecy is fully encompassing hope of the dreams and the hearts of generations past and their dreams of being a great nation. The scripture goes on to say in verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. I want you to understand the timeline a little bit here. I promise we're going to get into some stuff for us. 
But I pray that today, just even being reminded of the role that Jesus came on his arrival will encourage you in understanding more about Jesus. Isaiah 9, when this prophecy came out, was presumably written in 740 to 701 B.C., somewhere in there. When King David reigned on his throne, it was from 1010 to 970 B.C. So there's a 230-year gap. Think about this. Generation after generation has died off. What was once a great nation, the king that everybody looked up to and said, this is the appointed king over all of our land. It's been 230 years, and they get a prophecy saying you got a king on the horizon. 700 years before Jesus came. All they have is this hope. All they have is the understanding of this. So when they hear as the new generation hearing that 230 years, now we have a new king who's coming and going to uphold it with justice and righteousness forevermore, that's mind-blowing for them. Because all they've heard was the stories of old of King David and what he's done. So not just the fulfillment of their limited expectations of a king, but he will uphold it with justice and righteousness forever. Amen. Come on, church. I don't know if you had a limited idea of God and put him in the small compartments of your life. But can I remind you today that in all you hope for, in all you dream for, in all you can ask, in all you can imagine, in all you can fathom, he is more. He can do more. He's not limited to our puny imaginations. Come on, Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, seek, or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And hear this. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Come on, forever and ever and ever, he will reign in glory and power and justice and righteousness. He's sitting on his throne. No human can take his throne. No death can stop him. No schemes of the enemy can hold up. No matter what happens in our lives, we serve a God who will reign in power forever and ever with justice and righteousness. Not through your lens of your hardship. Not through your lens of your trial. He's so far above it. Reigning on his throne. Holding all power and all authority. Come on, are you grateful for that this morning? Now and forever. Now and forever. So let's continue in the story. Israel would have heard this prophecy from Isaiah and would have held on to the hope, awaiting the king to reign forevermore on the throne of David. When we move along to the birth of Jesus Christ, here comes this king. For unto us a child is born. Here comes the child. Here comes the fulfillment of the prophecies, even far and above what their minds would have thought. This is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. I really believe the hope in their hearts didn't match up to what they envisioned. That's why he was crucified. The hope in their hearts, what they envisioned, was an earthly king. Maybe even a godly king who would come down through the clouds and just rule and reign. It didn't match up. He wasn't a king like King David. He was better in every way. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
not just sit on an earth throne, but to reign forevermore. Why do you think Jesus came and his number one message wasn't, come on, we got to restore the land. we got to restore the nation. No, he said, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Every parable came back to the kingdom of God. This is his domain, King Jesus, where he rules and he reigns. The reality that we live in today on this side of the Advent is that we have this king who has come and who is reigning in heaven now and forevermore. And we are living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. Amen. In the kingdom of God, our hope is here. Our hope is here. So what does this mean for us? Now that we know the whole story and we understand the impact of what that first arrival held, I think first of all this helps us to understand that we do have a king who is reigning in power and authority forever and ever. Jesus is our king. Yes, he's our high priest interceding to the Father on our behalf. He was our ultimate sacrifice. He is our final word, our prophet, the one who brought the final word, loosing the Holy Spirit to now where we don't even need the prophets of old because we can now talk to God ourselves. And now Jesus is the reigning king over our lives, over our realities, over our families, over the kingdom of heaven, over the kingdom of earth. He is reigning. And I pray that's a great reminder for you today. What, that, what I think is so important sometimes is just to hone in on a couple of the characteristics of Jesus as our king to understand what he is to you now and who he is to you now. Because if we can understand that, it helps us to be led by this king. So my first point is this. He's now and forever humble for us. This is the king that we have. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's entitled before, uh, but it's kind of an icky uh, thing when people carry entitlement around them. I had this boss at my first job at a grocery store that I ever worked at, and uh, this guy was absolutely so entitled. Uh, he, you know, he was the manager of the store, and he owned that little name badge like he was the manager of a grocery store. And, uh, and he went up, and he was sit in his office and look out his window at everything. And when we wanted to get paid, we had to go up to the office and bang on the door. And then he'd say, yes, what would you like? And I'd be like, can I get my paycheck? Do you guys remember paychecks? That's a time of the past. We got three people that remember paychecks in here. God bless you. Anyways, uh, I remember going up and knocking on the door, and he'd be like, can I get my, I would say, can I get my paycheck? And he'd go, yeah. And he'd come to the door, and he'd hold it back from me until I'd say thank you to him. Thank you for paying me, right? Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And uh, I remember one time, I'm, I'm over here, like, checking out. I was one of the checkers at the time, and he comes over to me, and he goes, hey, close down your stand. I need you to go help my wife clean out our car. And I was like, I'm sorry, do what? Like, I don't get paid to do that. It was years later, I think it was 10 years later, we're in this small town in the middle of nowhere, and we're checking out at this little grocery store, and I look up and I see him. He's standing there looking at me. And it was like such a shocking moment. And it's like, I mean, you're talking in the middle of nowhere. This, now he's a checker sitting at this grocery store. I go, oh, my gosh, good to see you. <laughs> like, kind of, not really, but okay. Good to see you. And he goes, he goes oh, hey, and he, he remembered my name. And I was like, what? There was this humility that had come over him, almost a forced humility. 
he began to explain the journey of the last couple of years and all the things that had gone wrong in his life. And, uh, you know, he hit a lot of dead ends in life, and now he's a checker at this store. But I saw a different side of him. There was a humility to him that was endearing. I was like, oh, you're actually like a nice human being, you know what I mean? You're not a terrible dragon person. It's okay. <laughs> this man was humbled. It wasn't that he chose humility. He was humbled. But see, Jesus wasn't humbled. He was humble. He chose humility. He chose to come as a baby. He chose to ride on a donkey into the city. He chose to lay down his life. It even says in the Bible that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus, in filling the role of King David, would have had every right to be entitled to come and sit on a throne. Come on, worship me. I'm the king. Said he came and washed feet. And he served humbly in love. In Luke 22, verse 27, it says, For who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. He was not entitled. He was a humble king. Come on, we have to understand that characteristic of Jesus and who we're dealing with. He's going to approach you with humility. He's going to approach ruling and reigning over your life, not as a big king saying, I'm a mighty God, follow me. No, he's going to come into your life saying, I'm here to serve you and to love you and to nurture you, and I want to be here. That's his stance. Number two, now and forever, he is love for us. Love. The more I live life, especially now that we have kids, I know that love is a choice. It's a purposeful decision to lay down your life for someone else, regardless of what they do. It's about sacrifice. Every day when I get home from work, I walk in the door and the kids all scream my name. And they're like, the first thing I ask every day is, can we go for a scooter ride? And so I'm like, whatever I'm feeling in that moment, however hot it is outside, even sometimes when it's raining, we get those stinking little scooters and we go ride around the block 10 times. You know what I'm saying? It's such a funny moment, but I choose to love them. Not because maybe I want to, right? If, we, if it was always based on a feelings basis, I probably would never go scootering with them, especially in the middle of summer on the surface of the sun we call Florida. I would probably never do it. But the reality is, is I'm going to love them regardless of what they're doing. I'm going to humble myself. And I had a friend once who gossiped behind my back to another friend. And instead of showing them hatred or trying to get back at them, I lovingly addressed it and made amends. Showed them love. See, church, this is the kind of love that is only made possible because God is love. It's automatic for him. There's no forcing it or making it happen. He loves us as his children. It's not about feelings. It's not about a want to. He makes a choice and he says, I love you regardless of what you've done. How you speak to me, what you I'm there and I'm going to consistently love you. I'm going to invite the band up. In 1 John 4, 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Do we see that? Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Aren't you grateful that God's love for us is not based on his feelings for us? It's not based on what we can do, on our works, on how good we've been, on what we've done. His love for us is free. It's his character. He's made the choice to love us. This is the king that we have, the king of love. He's ruling and reigning with the heart of a father, saying, I want to nurture you. I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and I want to love you through every single bit of it. Number three, now and forever, judge for us. Judge. This one's a tough one. It's a whole lot easier to preach humility and love from this stage. But I think this is necessary for us to understand Jesus, our judge. And, you know, I really think of it this way. I don't know if you've ever been judged by someone. Maybe someone jumps to a conclusion and a judgment without even knowing you. I know I have. As a pastor, I get judged all the time. Most of the time it's by people who don't even know me. They see me once, they hear me preach, they draw conclusions based on their past experiences. Maybe based on their feelings, maybe based on their mindset, they give judgment. If they would have known me, if they would have understood my whole picture, understood the journey, Instead of jump to conclusions, I believe they wouldn't have judged me. They don't know my past. They don't know my story. They don't know why I preach the way that I do, use as many scriptures in my sermons, have a holy reverence and fear for the word of God. I don't want to mess it up from this platform or lead you down the wrong path. So people will judge. I think that the thing is that we have to understand about this is the definition of a judge is someone who is able or qualified to make a decision. That word qualified is very important in this context. See, too many people aren't even truly able or qualified to judge us. Their words are worthless. And what I love about God is he isn't a judge who jumps to conclusions based on appearance or how you make him feel. He knows us, he cares for us, he knows the whole story and he puts it all into account. He is just and honest. Aren't you grateful he's just and honest today? This is the judge we have as our reigning king. I'm grateful for a judge who is qualified to judge us. And the reality of our lives, and this is some hard truths to hear this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things we've done well in the body, whether good or bad. Come on, if your faith is solely on grace, which it can be, we miss out on the fact that he's looking at the whole picture. Yes, grace is a generous gift from God and we should live in grace and walk in grace every single moment of every day, but we should also have a holy fear of God every moment and saying, does this moment count for eternity? Does this moment change lives for eternity? Am I bringing people with me with this moment? We're gonna be judged. Aren't you grateful that our judge is humble? Aren't you grateful that our judge is loving? He is just in all his ways. 
He says what he means. And he does what he does on purpose. We have to carry awareness with us that Jesus is our judge. Would you stand to your feet? I pray today just you're reminded in this season. I know this is kind of a low energy sermon today. And uh, I think it's good to have moments of remembrance that aren't about hype, that are about truth. Is that okay? But I loved at the end of Isaiah 9, verse 7, as I kept reading through this and studying it and just allowing it to speak to me, I saw something I've never seen before. The last scripture says, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord, I love that. I think that's such a powerful statement. The zeal of the Lord. And how we often look at the word zeal through the English language, it's defined as great energy, passion, or enthusiasm towards a cause. So we're going, yeah, God's going to have great energy. He's going to have great passion, excitement, enthusiasm towards the cause of being our everlasting Father, mighty God, Prince of Peace. Come on. Of being the reigning king forevermore, we look at it as great energy, passion, or enthusiasm, but in the original language, in the Hebrew, that word zeal doesn't define the same way. So I've read that scripture wrong my whole life because the word zeal, kina, means jealousy, anger, envy, a state of raging even to anger. That's kind of different. That's different than the excitement factor and the energy. Oh, God's passionate about you. Oh, that can preach all day long. He's passionate about you. It just, it clicked in my head when I thought about a couple months back, we were at the store and this guy was like obviously staring at Brianna inappropriately. And I got all like rageful and like, I'm like, no way. And I'm, I'm about to stand and I stood in the way. I'm like, don't you look at my wife. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to, you know what I'm saying? There's a different side of Alex you haven't seen up here. And you don't want to, you don't want to. There's a different side to God. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for your heart. He will do anything for you. He will go to the extent of sending his one and only son, giving him up on a cross, nailing his hands and his feet, putting a crown of thorns. He will do all of this because he's jealous for your love. He just wants you. He just wants your heart. Come on, he will be righteously angry. For you, he will say nothing will get in my way of reaching you. Come on, this is the gospel. This is what he came to do. This is the reigning king that we have in our lives right here, right now. Come on, he's a jealous God for you. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Aren't you grateful for our Lord? Aren't you grateful for his love? Aren't you grateful for the reigning king? Aren't you grateful that he is reigning on his throne now and forever. That's the king I could get behind. That's the king I can serve. So I think the best response is to sing a song that our team has prepared. It's entitled King of Heaven. I just encourage you to surrender. 
when he's reigning, he's ruling on his throne. Don't hold anything back. Can we take some time and worship together in this place? Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.